Well, it is great to see all of you. If you're a guest, my name is David. I'm the pastor. Glad you're here. Hope you always feel welcome to what we have going on at the church. Uh, At the end of this week, Friday and Saturday, uh, we have a group going to Tucson. We have a strategic partnership with the church plant there known as the Way Family Church. If you'd like to go, it's not too late. There's, it's not going to be much glamorous stuff going on, but we're going to be helping them out in some areas in the community. So if you'd like to do that after the service, there'll be someone out in the commons area. Uh, Joe and I were talking this week. Joe Andrews, who came up a little bit earlier, if you didn't know who he was, or he is. He wasn't him. He still is him. Nothing's happened in the last few minutes. But uh, I probably don't emphasize enough the, our mission strategic partnerships all over the country in our local areas. We are partners with eight church plants in North America, including our borderland region and in Juarez. And so that's an important part of what we do. Later this month, the two Spanish-speaking works that we are, are partnering with to help them in our area in Juarez, we have some stuff going on also. So if you'd like to do that after the service, you can go out there and, and they'll fill you in as well. We are in a series entitled The Kingmaker. We started in the 1st of June, going to go through the end of July. If you've been coming, you know it's about Samuel. And uh, one of the things that I have stressed in this series, and if you go through all nine weeks of it, and probably I'm probably the only one who will be here for all nine weeks of it, but if you are here for all nine weeks of it, then hopefully you'll get through all of this, this one fundamental thing that I've been trying to get across, and that is that everybody needs somebody to save them. One of the things that Samuel helps us realize is that people need someone to save, to deliver them. Now, what we have seen so far in Samuel is a couple of the aspects of who he is and what he did, the roles that he played. We have seen Samuel as the prophet who God reveals his plans through him. He speaks the mind of God. He is the priest who helps mediate between the people and God. And today, we're going to come see what is probably his most common role, the one he did day to day, And we're going to see that he is the judge. And that's part of what he does. We're going to be primarily in 1 Samuel chapter 12. I'll catch one verse in chapter 7 in just a moment. But here's the thing that I hope you will see from the message today. And it is this, that everybody follows somebody. Make sure that somebody is worth following. All of you are going to follow somebody in your life. You may follow several somebodies in different aspects of your life. But always make sure that who you follow is really worth following following. So we begin in the message today with the last and the greatest. You know, it's one thing to be the greatest up to a point, but if you're the last of whatever you are, then you get to be the greatest forever. And Samuel was a judge who was the greatest because he was, and then he was the last, and that just sealed the deal. And uh, in, in a couple of weeks back when I was talking about Samuel being a priest, we were in 1 Samuel chapter 7. There was a verse there that I mentioned that said I'd come back to it later, and that later is now. 1 Samuel 7. Verse 15 says this, now Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. Now, when we think of the word judge, when I think of the word judge, I think of a man or woman, but in my personal life experience, it has mostly been a man that you would be in front of in a robe and they would be deciding your fate to some degree. You know, they, they would be presiding over some sort of legal procedures, uh, whether it be something simple as in a traffic fine that you don't think you deserve because all you did was establish the flow of traffic that shouldn't be a crime or any type of fine associated with that in my opinion. Whether you're in a civil lawsuit deciding who is right or some you know, big-time criminal lawsuit, and even a criminal case, even if the judge doesn't determine guilt, the judge guides all the evidence, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. We, we understand what a judge does. 
And in our world, that's pretty secluded. We live, in, we live in a culture where, you know, we have different functions for different branches of government. It's in our constitution. We're a constitutional republic. You have the executive, the legislature, and uh, the judicial. And that's kind of the way it is everywhere in our country, in our culture. But in Samuel's day, the judge was far more than that. They, just, you know, they didn't just preside over cases. The concept of a judge was really to govern. I mean, the, the judge governed people. And they, they would, in Samuel's case, since he was the voice of God because he was the prophet and because he was a priest, I mean, he, was, he became the singular person that guided Israel for a long period of time. He wasn't a king. He didn't function as a king. But he was the governance. And that's what the ju- word judge means, governance. He governed. He led them in that capacity. Now, when I started this series, the first Sunday in June, we were in the book of Judges. And one of the things that we, I wanted to really stress was the chaos and the sin that had infected for a couple of hundred years the people of Israel. And I mentioned a couple of things that they were guilty of. One is they had become guilty of what we call syncretism. They had taken the pure worship of the Lord, Yahweh, their Lord, God, and they had taken the religion of the Canaanites and they had incorporated their paganism, their idolatry, uh, eventually children sacrificing part of it, immorality. They took all of that and they mingled it. They blended it with the true worship of Yahweh. And because of that, God rejected it completely. He, he worshiped him alone and only him and no additions, no subtractions, no anything else. And the other thing that they were guilty of was what we would call today moral relativism. And what you see repeatedly in the book of Judges is the phrase... Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They just did what they wanted to do. Now, judges added because they had no king, because in the book of Judges is setting up the fact that Israel needed a king. They needed a somebody to lead them. And so God sent for a period of time judges to come. Now, there were certain aspects about these judges. They were temporary, not just in what they did, but their influence only lasted as long as they were alive. And when they died, their influence was gone. They were regional. They just had certain areas where they were, and they were flawed. I mean, the judges were hugely flawed people. Gideon, Jephthah, Samson. I mean, their, their sin and their flaws were just unbelievable. The fact that God used them is amazing. And then Samuel comes along. And Samuel's different. For first thing, Samuel's not temporary. Samuel is what we would call, or I call, transitional. He transitioned them from the period of judges to the period of the kings. And he took them and he got them from worshiping all these pagan gods and goddesses. He eliminated all of that so they truly worshiped only one God that was Yahweh, the Lord. And then extended when David became king and David graced them to the greatest heights. He was also a national leader, not regional, but to all the people followed his leadership when they left him. And Samuel was not flawed, though he was sin, but his problem wasn't he was flawed at all. Samuel was faithful. Samuel was as faithful a servant of the Lord as she would ever see in the Old Testament. And he led the people, and they left and followed him. But as we saw last week, he started getting old. And the people were concerned because they didn't want his sons to be their judges. And instead of waiting for God to lead Samuel, which is the right thing to do. And remember what I told you last week. God knew what he was doing. God already had David picked out. God already had David picked out. But instead of waiting on the Lord to work through Samuel, the people jumped a gun. And we couldn't understand that they were concerned and they were worried about the future. They didn't want to go back to the things they were, the way they were. But instead of waiting for Samuel, they said, give us a king. 
We want a king like all the other nations, like all the other cultures. They let the culture influence them, and then they decided we want what we want. And they went that direction. Samuel prayed to God, and God said, yes, but what the way they're doing it is wrong. It is an evil, sinful thing not to trust me. But you give them a king, and eventually I'll get David to him. but you go ahead and give them a king. And so we see in chapters 9, 10, and 11, they had Saul. Saul was tall, and he was it's good looking, and he would just, you know, he just fit the part. <clears throat> and for a little while, Saul would be okay. Eventually, though, Saul would be a disaster. And by the time David became king, he had to make up for the disaster that was Saul. And it set what he was trying to do and what God wanted him to do back a long time. Now, I tell you all that because we're coming today to the 12th chapter. And in the 12th chapter, Samuel is about to retire. Now, he'll still be a prophet. And he'll still be a priest. He'll still be a judge. But he's not going to be the leader anymore. That is going to be the king. And so he has this assembly of all the people. And that doesn't mean every person in Israel showed up, but they were all represented. It's similar to what Joshua did in Joshua 24. It's similar to something that, that Elijah did in 1 Kings 18 when he had that great meeting to determine who they were going to worship, God or Baal. And so Samuel gathers them all together. And in chapter 12, verse 1, here's what we see. Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have listened to your voice and all that you said to me, and I've appointed a king over you. Now, one of the things that Samuel did is that he took what the people asked for seriously. He didn't agree with it. He didn't just say, you know what, forget you. I'm not going to give you the king. But what he did, as I shared last week, is he went to God in prayer. He heard what they said, went to the Lord, and let the Lord decide what was going to happen. And the Lord said, okay, we're gonna, it's, it's sinful, but we're going to kind of teach them a lesson here. You give them the king, and they can see what happens. So he did all that. Verse 2. Now, here is the king walking before you. In other words, here's Saul. Saul was with him. Saul brought him in. I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. It's kind of an interesting phrase because last week we saw that the sons were leading, and now he kind of judging a part of the area, and now they're with him. There's a lot of debate about what's going on. I tend to think it means my sons aren't going to lead you. They're just one of you. In fact, we're all just one of you. My family no longer is in charge of anything. And I have walked before you from my youth, even to this day. Now, the idea of walking is the idea of, of taking a journey. Uh, I try to, to walk several days a week, uh, you know, in my neighborhood or other places, to drive someplace, take kind of a journey. The idea of walking, and, and what Samuel did, which is important, is he journeyed his life with them. Samuel was accessible to them. Kings would not be accessible to them, but Samuel was. He journeyed his life with them from the time he was young. He was about three years old when his mama Hannah brought him to Eli. And from that moment on, he belonged to the Lord and he belonged to the people. And he journeyed with them. In verse 3, he says, here I am. I'm standing before you. Bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed. Now, the word phrase bear witness means if you have any formal complaints, now's your time. The Lord, the Lord is here, you know. Uh, in the presence of the Lord. Saul, the king, was there. Saul's now the leader. So if you have anything legally to declare that how I might have, have hurt you or used you or abused you, speak now. And then he lists some things he could have done. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? The word defrauded and oppressed are very similar. It means to crush. Who have I crushed and abused? Or from whose hand have I taken a bribe? To blind my eyes, I will restore you. In other words, he's saying, who have I wronged? When you read 
in the book of First and Second Kings, one of the things you see about the kings of Israel is that some of them, in fact, a lot of them did all those things. I mean, they were oppressive. Why would anyone ever want a king to rule over them? I have no idea why anyone, I see all the people, and I know the queen of England has no real power, but I see them all get all giddy over a queen. I see Americans get all giddy over a queen, and I said, you know, there was a time that we, you know, basically revolted against all that. It's called a revolution. We celebrated that last week. We don't like kings and queens. For some reason, people still do. Verse 4 and 5, the people responded, you have done none of those things to us. You're guiltless. You haven't done anything. Your hands are clean. Here's what I want you to see at this point. It's important. How Samuel lived mattered. How, how we live our lives matter. If you're a leader, people are going to follow you. How you live matter. Samuel listened to the people. Samuel lived with the people. Samuel loved the people. He listened to them. He didn't always give them everything they want, but he communicated. He listened. He understood them. He lived with them. He walked among them. He was one of them, and he loved them. He never took anything from them. He didn't hurt them in any capacity. If you're going to follow someone, how they live their life matters. How Jesus lived his life matters. It matters a lot. How you and I live our lives matters. If we're going to tell people that they should follow us in following Jesus, <laughs> how you live your life is important. From verse 6 to verse 18, Samuel recounts the history briefly of some of the things that happened. Reminded them of their sin. Reminded them that God would keep blessing them. And he would honor them if they would serve him. And reminded them of the evil they had done. And said, you know, as a sign that the fact that this is evil, since we're at the harvest time and there's supposed to be no rain at the harvest, he called down rain and thunder and it happened. And the people then responded in verse 19 this way. All the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God. Pray for us. Samuel, you're still the priest. Now, they called themselves servants to Samuel, which basically meant this. They recognized their position in relationship to him. Now, they called him your God and not our God, not because Yahweh wasn't their God, but in that day and age, when you had sinned to such a capacity, it was a sign of, humili of humility and a sign of repentance that you would address him as your God for us, so that we may not die, <laughs> for we have added to all of our sins <clears throat> this evil by asking for ourselves a king. Samuel, we deserve death. We know that we don't want to die. So pray to God, because we've added to all the sins that we have already committed, we've added more, and it's evil, and we know that. So Samuel said to them in verse 20, do not fear. Now the word fear is a pretty versatile word. It has the idea of standing before the holiness of God and how we respond to the holy, majestic God. If we're in a good relationship with God and where we should be, the fear is awe and majesty and worship and praise. If we're in a bad relationship with God and not where we should be, the word fear is to be terrified. He said, do not be terrified because of your position. You have committed all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Now, don't make it worse by... by committing a greater sin and going back to the worship of Baal. That's kind of what that means. You can't change the past. You can't. You can't change the sin in your life that happened. You can't undo all that. But you can, from this point forward, live differently. From this moment forward, your life can be different. So he says your life can be fundamentally different. Verse 27, one, he reminds them, do not turn aside. 
For then you would go after futile things which you cannot profit or deliver because they are futile. The word futile means wasted, empty, useless, of no value. Paganism, Canaanite religion was of no value to them. For the Lord will not abandon, he will not leave behind his people on account of his great name. His name was represented who he was, his character. Because of who God is, he's not going to abandon you. Because the Lord has pleased himself to make you people for him. The word pleased means he has decided. He has decided unto himself, you're his people. <laughs> he picked you. He knew what he was doing. He's with you. Repent. Don't go back to the old way. And, and Samuel said, but as for me, I want you to know how I feel about this. Verse 23 says, for me, be it far from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. He said, I won't be praying for you. He says, I love you. You're my people too. But I will instruct you in the good and right way. I'm going to remind you the way you should live. Now, he will no longer be judge. He will still be a priest because he'll pray for the people. And he'll still be a prophet. He will speak the mind of God and reveal the will of God, which he will do later on to both Saul and David. Then here in verse 24 and 25, kinds of comes to summation. This is the climactic moment of his speech and what he says. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. The word fear here does not mean be terrified, but to be in awe. Be in awe of the Lord. Serve him. Worship him, in other words, in the truth that he is the Lord with all your heart. The heart is the place of your decision-making. With everything you have, do that. For consider what great things he has done for you. Think of all that the Lord has done. Worship him. But there is always a but in life, you know. There's always that however, but yet, if you still do wickedly, or you do what is evil. In other words, if you still are going to rebel against God, both you and your king will be swept away. One of the tragedies of the people of Israel is eventually their kings led them into the worship of Baal and led them away from God. And God eventually would destroy the nation of Israel. It would be several hundred years. Ultimately, it happened in 587 with Nebuchadnezzar. But he would ultimately bring them to total judgment. He kept his word to them. He always does that. Now, here's the thing. I told you earlier how Samuel lived mattered, but also what Samuel said mattered. What the prophet, what the judge would say would matter. Samuel confronted the people. Samuel comforted the people. Samuel challenged the people. By the way, all those C's, kind of like when all the L's earlier, that's what a thesaurus is for, to make sure they all line up and you feel pretty good. I learned that in seminary. So what he's saying is this, confronted means he brought up their sin. He said, look, you sin. Listen, we love people who come here and all types of people come here and we're all sinners. And sometimes we have to be confronted with our sin. We don't gloss over or hide sin. It's real. My sin's real, your sin's real. People living in a life of sin, it's real. So you confront sin, yes. But also what he do? He comforted people because he told them that God forgave them. And part of a leader's responsibility is make sure he brings comfort. And he brings encouragement to them. And also he challenged them, though. He reminded them, you can't, you can't go the other way. You can't leave God behind. All those things are critical. Of course, here's what you know about Samuel. Here's what we see. Samuel is closing out his role as judge. He, he still be the prophet, because he can't ever not be a prophet. still be a priest. can't not be a priest. But his role as judge is coming to a close. And here's what we need to see about Samuel. This is so important. Samuel did not call the people to father either him or a king, but to follow the Lord. This is what Samuel did that was so important. This is what makes him one of the six key figures of the Old Testament. 
he called the people to follow the Lord. And in calling them to follow the Lord, what he did, this is important, I've shared this before. He points to the one who will ultimately be the one to follow. He points to the need of someone to save you. That's Jesus. But in order to be saved, you have to follow. And he said, follow the Lord. Which brings me now to the second thing I want to share with you in the message today. Everybody follows somebody. We do as part of our culture, as part of life, part of being human. We follow somebody. I mean, you know, I, I love football. Loved it since, since all I can remember. And since I was a child, I was taught and I have followed the wishes of my mama to follow the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> and, you know, and I know sometimes they're not doing great right now, but they still have five Super Bowl rings, which is more than all but about three teams. So, you know, unless you're one of those three teams, I won't tell you what you can do, but you can use your vivid imagination. Being from South Texas, just forget about it. So here's the thing. And I follow, I like to know what's going on. I mean, they matter to me. The good and the bad. The joy and the unbelievable heartbreak that goes with that. <laughs> you know, when I, when I get on social media, there are certain people that I kind of follow. Because I like that they're funny. There's a guy this past week I've been really looking at. He's just funny and stuff he says. Could <laughs> be a little bit crude, but he's so funny. And, and you know, when I, when I look at political stuff, there are certain columnists that I follow that I like. We all follow. Here's the thing to remember. When it comes to matters of faith, whatever your faith may be, to God, whatever your view of God is, when it comes to religion, whatever your religion is, whatever your whatever is, you follow somebody. Somebody has led you and guided you. In fact, let me say this to you. Somebody is leading you right now in matters of faith in God. Whatever your belief about faith in God is, somebody leads you down that path. Hopefully, the one that leads you is God. And, and here's the thing. Samuel led the people. He led them. And here's the amazing thing. In such a short period of time, he undid hundreds of years of pagan influence. And he took them in a short period of time from worshiping pagan gods, cleaned all that up so they worshiped the one true God, Yahweh. And got them to live an ethical, moral life in terms of their relationship with the Lord. And then before he died, he would anoint David, who would be the greatest king of all. And in David, we have the promise God made that there will be a king who will reign forever on his throne. That isn't a physical king. It can't be. It can only be one thing, a Messiah. And David is the promise and the prototype for the one to come. All of that points to Jesus. That's what makes him so important. And now we live this side of Jesus. And we see Jesus fulfilling all of that, but we look at Jesus for simply who he is. And Jesus said, come follow me. If you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And so that bears a question that we have to ask and we have to answer. It's an important question in our culture today. And one of the reasons so many people who are followers of Jesus can't help other people become followers is because they miss this question. And the question is simple. Is Jesus really worth following? In every day of my life, some way or another, I have to answer that question for myself. Is Jesus really worth following? Back earlier in the year, I preached that series from Mark. You may remember if you were here, it was four months long. 17 weeks. That's eight and a half hours of preaching. I'm sure you remember most of that if you were here. 
And one of the things I did in that series is I laid out the groundwork of who Jesus is, what Jesus did, why it matters, and especially in terms of, of the cross and the resurrection. So I wish I had time to recap all that. I'd like to take another 30 minutes of your time if I could and just settle back up, but I'm not. But here's what I'm going to do. And for the purpose of this message, now we're in church, in a worship service. We are, First Baptist is a Southern Baptist church. That means there are certain things that we hold dear. And one of the things that we hold dear is that we believe in the truth of the New Testament and the Old Testament. And because Mark is a part of that, we read the truth of Mark. And so I'm going to make an assumption. Just because we're in this place, I'm going to make this assumption. I'm a Southern Baptist pastor. I'm going to make this assumption that what the New Testament teaches about Jesus is accurate both historically and spiritually. Historically and spiritually. What the gospel of Mark, Matthew, Luke, John, and everything else that's written about Jesus is historically accurate, truthful. Okay. With that in mind, I want to ask you four more questions in order to answer the question about whether it really should matters to follow Jesus. Is he worth following? The first is this. How did Jesus live and treat people? How did he live and treat people? At the very beginning of Mark's gospel, I think it was the third message I preached <clears throat> six months ago, Jesus came in contact with a leper. Now, you understand, in that day and age, leprosy was a living death. I told you that. I said it's like a zombie movie. They were the living dead. And Jesus did what no one ever did. He touched that leper. Before he cleansed the leper, he touched the leper. Jesus touched leper. You understand what that meant. He was ceremonially unclean. He was in danger of catching leprosy and he touched this guy. I mean, Jesus, Jesus came alongside a woman who was so sinful and wicked, her own people despised her, and he sat beside her and talked to her and had a conversation with her. She said to others, he told me things about myself. Some amazing. That they would bring the people, would bring their children to him, and he would touch the children. As he hung on the cross, Luke tells us that, that instead of worrying about his own death, he looked and called out to the man next to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus loved people. He loved them. And he lived his life that way. The second question we ask is, what did Jesus say, teach, and proclaim? From the beginning of his ministry, he said, repent, and believe the gospel and follow me. That was his fundamental message. And then he would go about saying things to help people understand that. He called himself the son of man. We, it's hard for us to grasp this, but when he called himself the son of man, every Jewish person at that time knew that he meant Messiah. He claimed to be the Messiah. That's what he told them. In the Sermon on the Mount, he preached a message that this is how you live your life. If I'm the Messiah, this is how you're going to live your life. And ultimately he said... This is how people will know you are my followers. In John 13, he said, he said, you love one another. He said, you've got to love other people. I mean, he kept telling people how to live their life. And shortly before his death, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's either true or false, but you can't come to God but through me. Third question you need to ask is, what does Jesus ask of you? What does Jesus ask of people? It's simple. He said, follow me. Give your life to me and follow me. It's just that simple. It's not complicated. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And he who lives and believes will never die. Do you believe this? Martha, who he was talking to, do you, Martha, do you believe this? Yes or no? Paul put it this way. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. He asked you to believe him. 
and follow him. And the fourth question is simply this. What does Jesus promise you? What did Jesus promise? He said to his disciples, I'll give you purpose in life. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. I'll give you purpose in life. But ultimately what he said above all, and he said also, I'll forgive your sins, in which he did. Your sins have been forgiven. But what he said above all, he said, I will give you a life with God. I'll give you eternal life. In John 10, verse 28, right in that place. He said this, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And then I give to them eternal life. The word eternal life means to live forever. The word life is life as it should be. It's life with God. Eternal means forever and ever. I'm amazed when I hear people say, you know, Jesus never really said you would, that you would be saved forever. Or this idea of once saved, always saved. Or people who believe you can lose your salvation. How can you lose your salvation when Jesus says you can't? Do you know what the word eternal means? It means forever. If you have eternal life and then you don't have eternal life, guess what? You never had eternal life. In which case, Jesus lied. He promises the amazing thing. Eternal life. So that brings us back to the question. Is Jesus really worth following? And you have to answer that for yourself. But I know this. Everybody follows somebody. All of you follow somebody. And when it comes to God, at some place in your life, you follow somebody. It may be you, but you follow somebody. Is that somebody worth following? Jesus is worth following. Even if you fully don't understand everything. Even if you don't get everything. Through all of that, he's worth following. Do you follow him? Have you trusted him with your life? We invite you to give your life to him and follow him. In just a moment, we'll be standing right here. And if you've not trusted Christ, you want to talk to someone, you can. You can talk to someone about what it means to follow Jesus. Some of you are already followers of Christ. Well, are you helping people be able to follow him? And part of the problem you may be up against is say you don't ask the right questions. You keep trying to convince them everything that's wrong in their life. I get it. I get it. But have you ever asked and answered the question with them, is Jesus really worth following? Because that's what they need to know. They need to know in their life if Jesus is really worth following. And how you live and what you say as a part of that. So maybe you'd like to come and... We can pray with you, or maybe just where you are, pray to God that you can answer that question. If you want to join our church, the first service someone did, whatever you feel led to do, we want you to do that. In our time of invitation, whether it's in your seat or you come forward, but remember this. When you leave this place today, remember this. Are you following Jesus? And is he worth following? So, Father, we thank you that we can come and worship and we thank you that we can come and honor you somehow, some way. And that, Father, we can ask the question. We can ask you, is Jesus really worth following? And, Father, I hope and pray that every person here will say, yeah, he really is. And I know there are a few that have never said yes. And I know that there are some who've never followed him. So, God, I ask in the name of Christ, by the power that's the Holy Spirit, they would ask themselves that question. Is he really worth following? And they would say yes. And they would trust Jesus. And that all of us, Father, would leave this place today knowing we follow somebody. We all follow somebody. Who is it that we follow? And are they worth following? We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. 
Amen. Would you stand?